this is the initial podcast for Q&S or Q&A or whatever, the Q podcast. So I am okay. Kevin Brittingham, and uh, the first episode is with my buddy, Jared Joplin from American Precision Arms, which used to be Patriot Arms. Jared, how you doing? I'm doing good. So why did you change it from Patriot Arms? Well, there's the main reason there was every time you turn around, there's Patriot this, Patriot that. Um, yeah, that got really popular I, a few years ago. Yeah, I literally had people calling me up, pissed off, looking for their rifle, and uh, only to find out. I mean, it's freaking me out because I'm looking in our system. I'm like, sir, I, I really have no idea who you are. You know, can I call you back? Only to find out that it's not one of our customers. Like I had somebody looking for a uh, a POF rifle one time because I guess they <laughs> had a rifle that had the same name as ours. Yeah, I didn't realize it had the same model as one of yours, yeah. Yeah, well, I didn't either. That's how I found out. So I'm like, if somebody's <laughs> literally calling me and there's so much confusion that they're looking for a rifle that I'm not even building, you know, I wonder what I'm losing in magazine articles and everything else. So that was one of the main reasons. Yeah, well, that's a good enough reason in my opinion. Yeah, Patriot right. and all that stuff got real popular here about 10 years ago, it seems. You know, it certainly took some time to to get back to where it was uh, because people didn't know who we were right off the bat. But honestly, I mean, we could call this uh, two jackasses in a shop, and I think people would still come. So Yeah, I think where you are now. And for people that don't know, um, so Jared and I have been friends a long time. Uh, Jared lives in Georgia uh, near my farm there and um, builds, you know, well, and you correct me when I'm finished if I'm wrong. Precision 700 base bolt guns for the most part. Incredibly high end. Um, and, and it seems like you've really turned your focus to, to hunting rifles for the most part and some competitive stuff. Um, you know, I'm in love with the work that you do. I mean, it, it seems kind of contradictory because, you know, I've started a new company. We build a precision rifle. Totally different than what you do. Um, you, you know, you, and I consider you the best. I don't know everyone and I've not watched them work. Um but you know, I would I would say you and I are great friends and I've paid six thousand dollars for you know what? I got four rifles in a year from you. Um right. and it seems like, oh my God, it's so expensive. And then seeing the parts that you use and then I have three rifles and I don't know if you remember this, but three that are Virtually exactly the same. The only difference is two are 308, one is 65, but same barreling and all. And you put so much, you're so OCD, put so much time and effort, and you're so conscientious about your work. I cannot tell the three apart unless I mark them. There's no difference in the stock gap of any of them or the thread protector or barrel threads, anything. They're not the, the smallest little thing that I can detect. Um, right. So anyway, what would you say that you do? I would say that your description is fairly accurate. Um, the best, I really don't think that the best is a term that that anybody has. Um, honestly, I think you're going to kind of get to somewhat of a plateau. If you think you're on a plateau, then you're going backwards because you're never you're never going to be sitting up on top where you know everything because this is just not a game. Or not a thing where where you're ever going to know everything, but um, we're very fortunate to have some very good gunsmiths in this country. Um, on the flip side of that, there's a lot out there that really don't know what they're doing. I think if the gun buying public became knowledgeable, truly knowledgeable, knowledgeable about what they were purchasing, you know, sixty to seventy percent of people would be out of business in a year. But yeah, yeah let, let's talk here right there, Jared. I think this is a passion that you and I share, and you know, it, it, it's like you could be said to be an asshole, and God knows I'm called it on a daily basis. And I really don't fucking care because I share this passion with you. Like I want to be the best, and I'm driven, and I'm competitive. And you and I are starting to go, you know, it's like we, we've kind of chosen different paths within this niche. But to me, it's where we respect each other. Like, 
I think, for instance, when I sold advanced armament, I accomplished 20% of what I wanted to accomplish. And, right. you know, I, I see that with you all the time and watching you evolve and your business evolve and your guns evolve. Um, you know, that's exciting to me. Like, we're having discussion t- today here, and if we could make, you know, basic stuff and mass produce it and make $100 million over the next 10 years compared to doing what we want, really being innovative and changing the industry as far as from a technology standpoint and make 10% of that, I would choose that. Right. It's a lot more fun, I think, and I would totally agree with you. I mean, I never really – I mean, I know it sounds backwards, but when I first started this, to be honest and fair, I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, I I apprenticed underneath somebody, and well, actually, I bought my first custom rifle when I was 19 years old, and that was from Patriot Arms, and I ended up purchasing that company. Um, oh, but I, I didn't. I didn't know this. Yep. Yeah. But I mean, nobody would hardly even talk to me, except for that company. So I ended up buying a rifle. Uh, long story short, and a few years later, owned it. But uh, oh wow, I got off track here. Where were we going with this? Uh, building. What? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that's interesting because your story there is, you know, that's very similar, I think, to me, and it's, you know, with my story, and also, you know, Johnny Nevesky, um, you know, God rest his soul, uh, another good friend of mine, um, you know, he, he tells the same story, like, got out of the Army, had no idea what I was doing, went to work, he went to work at Patnor Barrels, learning to, you know, pull buttons on barrels, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, de- decided to want to live there, worked in his garage, learned to build rifles, with what he learned from Pat Nor. Had no idea what he was doing, but, you know, he, he's a brilliant guy like you are and just knew he wanted to be the best. And the business kind of took him kind of opposite from you where you guys started the same place. You know, his he's obviously known for his ARs, but he was originally a bolt gun builder like you are. Um, right. I think that story is very, very common with people of passion. Yeah, I used to drive up to North Carolina and um, I would literally, I literally, well, I didn't live at the shop. I stayed with a friend up there. But there were sometimes, I mean, I had a mattress in the bathroom, and I'd pull it out and throw it in the floor. And essentially, I either stayed with a friend or I slept on the floor in that shop um, for the first, I don't know, year and a half uh, while I was learning that stuff. And I would drive home on the weekends. Then when I moved it down here, for 15 years, I lived in my shop. And, yeah, that's one of my um, questions I was going to ask you about when you started it, because, like I tell our other friends that don't know you as good as I do, I'm like, fuck, Jared lived in the top of his shop for 15 years. Like, he just bought this awesome house and moved his family out of the attic of his shop for the first time. And I think uh, most people would think you're, like, insane, but I tell you, like, you and I being fortunate enough both to share a passion, you know, and... um you know, you, you've always controlled your company, obviously sold my first one. But if you have me choose between money and passion, like, I don't give a shit. I would live in my shop in a second right now to do what I'm doing. Like, you know, I live in a big, nice house in New Hampshire. And, you know, well, you were at my farm today in Georgia near your place. And it's gorgeous. Like, right now, you know, I'm passionate like you about my family and I'm passionate about my work. Like, I, I don't really give a shit about anything else. I love hunting. Like, that's the passion of mine. Um, but outside of that, I don't care about having a nice house or having a fancy car or, you know, like, the only money I spend is on, like, beer and my kid and going to eat. Like, that's it. I, I, I can see you spending a lot of money on beer. but um, you know in hunting stuff you know like that's all I spend money on like you and I book and hunt like I don't spend money on anything else Mm -hmm. so you know I I started to arrange my priorities like I was super happy for you getting finally getting a house and all but I I I got voluntold we were getting a house (laughs) well yeah we had a um I kind of I tried to make the shop nicer for my wife um, because it was definitely uh, 
we'll just, I wouldn't say it was a bachelor pad, but it wasn't nice. Like the floors weren't done. But when my wife, uh, when I got married and my wife moved in there with me, which everybody thought she was crazy too, but, um, yeah, it's very, very bold on your part. Yeah. We, uh, I don't know what she was thinking, but I'm glad she was thinking it. But, um, we had our first child, Hannah. Um, she, she's turning five this weekend. Um, we would bathe her in the sink. We had a big metal sink in the shop. And I think it's really cool. I mean, <laughs> we've got pictures of her in the shop sink. It's like a big stainless steel sink. And, you know, yeah, there's I've not been... too many people that can say they were, they took baths in, in the sink in the shop. But, you know what? And all that was fine. It was a little crazy. It took some getting used to because of all the guns and having a toddler around. But, you know, she knows not to touch them. I mean, that was actually kind of good in the long run. But anyway, uh, when child number two came around, when Noah came around, my wife said, all right, that's enough. It's, it's time to go. But so we paid our dues and I tried to put everything I could back into the business. And it allowed us to have somewhat of a life and still put back into the business or not take, you know, as much from the business. And so that's why we did it. And, you know, yeah, it was a, it was a long, long trying process, but we're here. I'm glad we're not there anymore because you don't ever get any sleep. I remember, I remember one time, probably the worst experience was I woke up, I'm butt naked, and I come out of my bedroom, and one of my employees is standing in the reloading room because there's nothing between, there's a reloading yeah. room between the bedroom and the kitchen, and I come walking out, and I'm standing there butt naked, and he's like an hour early for work. And there's nothing but air between he and I. It's like morning. It's like morning. Yeah. We don't have any deals like that anymore. Well, you know, I think these experiences are interesting. Like, I started mine a little different. I didn't live in the shop, but it was in the back of a gun store for several years. And then, you know, when I made enough money to buy a building, um, I built a playground inside of it. And I built and I had the building across the street from the ki- my uh, kid's school. And so they could come over after school, but I had an apartment in there because we would work such long hours in her. I would, you know, I did a lot more work than I do now. Um, mm-hmm. And I would sleep there a ton and the kids had a bedroom and I had a bedroom and they had a playground and we had a bathroom. Um, but yeah, to me, those are some of the great times. Cause I mean, you, you know, we've known each other a long time and I sold that company and I lived in a, you know, a, a giant mansion and had Lamborghinis and stuff and, um, you know, the money's been good for some things and, you know, but I think it was good for me to kind of go, go that route. And I think it's a little different than your personality, but, um, mm-hmm. have those sorts of things. And now I realize how unimportant it is and how uninteresting it is. And, um, and, and I think I took for granted how much I love what I do and I'm passionate about it. And it's my favorite thing. Like besides my family, you know, my work is my favorite thing in the world, and then then beer probably. But um, <laughs> but I, you know, I think I think most people never have an opportunity to experience that, and um, so I think I feel now that at 44, you know, instead of 24, I feel um have a different attitude and outlook and very appreciative. Where you kind of took a different route, but it's kind of both like you know paying our dues and um. You know, now being older and having kids and, you know, appreciating it and being able to involve the kids in it. And, and I've always been the same way. We talked about your kids with guns. Um, you know, like I view it with people, uh, like I've had a swimming pool for a long time, you know, the entire time my kids have been alive. And it's like, well, you teach your kids to swim because I'm not worried about them drowning at my house when I'm there. I'm worried about them going to a friend's house and drowning. And I view guns the same way. So, just like your kids shoot, hunt with you, your wife does. I do the same thing. So my kids have no curiosity with guns. They don't touch them. We have them in the house for whatever, shooting skunks in the yard or something. Um, my kids never touch them unless we're going to the range to hunt or uh, to shoot or going out to hunt. Um, right. so I think it's a really good thing. I don't have to worry about them when they go to someone else's house, uh, w- which I appreciate. Right. Um, my yeah. kids are so pretty well- like we don't we don't have firearm related issues because it's it's not a big scary thing it's an everyday part of life and it's you know I, I mean 
Yeah, there's more than one firearm here, as you might imagine. And, you know, oh, yeah. I've never seen the only time my, my daughter's ever picked one up was when she was two and it was a customer's rifle at the shop. It obviously wasn't loaded, but that's the only time she's ever picked one up. And I told her one time, no, and she's never done it again. So it's just like a, a lamp sitting on the shelf to them. I mean, they're born with these guns, so it's no different than anything else to them. Yeah, it, it, it's funny for me because now living up here in New Hampshire, you know, we kind of live in town, and we got two big-ass greater Swiss mountain dogs, and um, we have skunks occasionally in our yard. we got a big yard. And I have a, a silence 22 and the, it, it, the action's open, the magazine's out of it, and I have a thermal sitting there next to it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's in a, it's in a drawer in the house. And whenever the kids, you know, skunks make this distinctive noise. I don't know if you knew this or not. I didn't either until I moved up here and we, we were infested with them and I started killing them. But, um, they'll make this strange noise and you can hear it at night and the kids will do it. They'll look out the windows from upstairs and if they see one, they run downstairs, grab the gun, grab the magazine, grab the thermal, and bring it to me. <laughs> you know, like, that's the only time they touch the gun. Because, you know, if the dogs get sprayed, they don't come to the house for like a week. So the kids are real motivated for us to kill the skunk. But it is interesting, you know, like I'll be napping on the couch or sleep at night or something, and the kids will run and wake me up and set the magazine and the gun and the thermal down next to me and tell me there's a skunk out in the yard. Um so that's cool. But that could be off topic. Is that a um, good reason I, to move to New Hampshire, maybe? What's that's that? A good reason, that's a good reason not to move to New Hampshire? Well, I tell you, that's the only reason. Um, the only reason you guys are loaded with guns? Yeah, New oh. Hampshire New Hampshire has been the best thing I've ever done for my family and probably myself. Um, yeah. It's wonderful, and I wish I'd raised my kids here, and that's no shit. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm a southern boy, just like you. Um, this is a better place than where you and I live. Well, where you live now. Um, but, you know, and I love Georgia growing up there. But it, it's a, it, this is an amazing, amazing place. I see why Sig is here, why Ruger is here. Um, I love it. I mean, I could live anywhere in the world. I wouldn't move anywhere at this point. Um, right. But I want to ask you some questions. Uh, sure. What is your current favorite cartridge? My current favorite cartridge is an old standby. I'd have to say 308. I mean, it, it's not very glamorous. It's, uh, yeah. you know, 308 what? But you can do anything with a 308. I mean, a lot of people look at it like, well, it's just a 308. Well, in the finale, PRS finale last year, I was one of, two people. Uh, I guess that's roughly the top 150 shooters in the country. And I think one guy in the open division cleaned, it was a 1,510-yard target, and I was the only guy in the tactical division. So that's, you know, that's that's a a tall hill to climb with a 308, but it's doable. So I think you take the right person with the right setup, and they can do a lot with that gun. I think it's it's really... um, misunderstood by a lot of people i mean there's no such thing as more dead and um yeah it's it's a very accurate cartridge which i understand there's you know there's a lot of reasons why you might want a larger caliber to do certain things but you can do almost anything with a 308 it just maybe it's not as glamorous as some of the the things that are out today but it's an old standby. It's not going anywhere. It's always going to be accurate, and it's always going to be available. So I love yeah. that. I mean, I, when they opened up the tactical division in the PRS, I was like, that's got my name written all over it. Yeah. yeah well, that's, well, I think you and I agree a lot on that. Like, I love 308. And because of my involvement in 300 Blackout, people always assume that's my favorite cartridge. But, you know, just like I think you and I also share this, it's – it's like, okay, what cartridge or what gun do we want? It's like, what are we trying to do? Um, you know, I like 300 Blackout if you want a 30 caliber bullet and an AR-15. And if you mm-hmm. want subsonic and supersonic capability. If I just want to shoot something and kill it, uh, yeah, 308 is better. Um, you know, I'm going on a hunt this weekend with some um, so, some individuals at the, the King Ranch 
in Texas, and so we're going to shoot what was it called a nil guy? And uh, they have they have plenty of them there. They're really yeah. good to eat. Actually. Yeah, that's what he said. Best meat, but anyway, he said so. You need to bring a mag, you know. And I've got a, a 300 Norma mag and shit like that. But I was like, well, I kind of want to shoot our gun. You know, how big is this animal? And I look it up, and I'm like, I've killed everything in the world so far with a 308 or a 6.5 Creedmoor. Like, do I really need a Magnum? Like, I feel like I can make a good shot on an animal. Um, hey, and I've not. A, that was a big elk you killed in New Zealand with it. Yeah. Big elk. Yeah, you know, that's what I tell people. They'll tell me, you know, they'll see that video of me shooting that elk or something. They'll be like, oh, what'd you use? I have a 7 mag or a 300 Norma or whatever. And I was like, you know, I have a 308. Like, I don't really hunt. You know, if I'm trying to shoot an animal over a thousand yards, I might use the 300 Norma mag. But I'm like, you know, in New Zealand, when you and I were there, I shot a Rusa deer at 950 with a 20 inch 6.5 Creedmoor. And the thing only ran a hundred yards. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's a 950 yard shot. So I'm like, why in the hell does everybody need all these, you know, super loud, super recoiling cartridges? Like, I, I love a 308 because of good bullets. We like big trucks with big tires <laughs> and big everything. It's just the way we are. More dead. Yeah. Well, I'm going this weekend and I'm taking, um, a 6.5 and I'm taking a 308 and then a new cartridge we're doing. 86 Creedmoor, which is basically 338 Federal with the Creedmoor treatment. So kind of like mm-hmm. what we did with 300 Blackout, 300 Whisper. Um, a more efficient case that's shorter where we can load longer, bigger, uh, subsonic projectiles. Um, but yeah, I have, I don't know, I would go with you anywhere in North America and shoot anything with a 308, like Grizzly or anything. Like with a good bullet, a Barnes bullet or whatever. I mean, it's well, effective. To Africa, I mean, I've got some other stuff, too. There's some legal things. Like, I mean, you cannot hunt dangerous game with anything smaller than the 375, as long yeah. as you know, the government's in control of where you're hunting. But uh, I'm bringing a 308. So I've, I've got a 375, a 470, but the fun gun that I'm bringing is a 308. So I asked them, they're like, oh, we can go out here and we can shoot long range. And I was like, well... When you say long range, what do you what do you mean? Like, well, you know, three hundred, three or four hundred yards. Like, oh, I'll just bring the three away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I would consider you, from my knowledge, probably you said the top hundred and fifty. I would say you're probably in the top ten percent of that. Um, you know, and and I would say I probably shoot better than most people that go hunting. Yeah, I mean, a three hundred yard shot, I'll just about make with a pistol. Like, I, when people say that, I, I'm, I'm like, amazed, because I don't even spend much time shooting now. And, like, I would shoot a deer tomorrow at 700 yards without even thinking about it with my 6.5 or my 308. Like, mm-hmm. you know, unless we, unless we got some environmentals that I'm unfamiliar with, that's not a tough shot. Um, so, yeah, when people say 300 yards, like, I'll do that with whatever gun we got. Well, I think if... Well, for some people, they might say that's ethical. Some people might say it's not. It just depends. Most people's eyes have not been open to what can be achieved with modern techniques and equipment. And it really yeah. is scary. Like, it's not a good not a good age to be a bad guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I agree with we, that. Yeah. So there's a lot more that can be done than what people think. I mean... I uh, I actually took a really long shot, and well, first off, I would say without getting into the ethical part of it, you know, sometimes we push the limits a little too far, and uh, I actually took a shot on an antelope at 2,600 yards um, yeah, this past year. Far. Do what? That's far. I mean, that's far, but I would say, you know, the ethical thing. I think you and I are probably on the same page and we'll see, we'll, we'll, you know, garner some criticism for that. But, you know, I think the reason you and I are successful in shooting or in business is we are more willing to take chances. You know, like, like you and I were in New Zealand together. And so for everybody, the, you know, the couple dozen people listening. Um, so, uh, Jared and, and our wives, we, um, went to New Zealand back in, 
February or March last year? So almost a year ago? March, uh, or May. Uh, no, it was March. March, yeah. and uh, I went back in June. Or yeah, July. so, so Jared, like you shot your first stag at 600-something, I believe. Then I shot one at six-something. Then I shot one at five-something. Then I shot a Rusa deer at 950. And, you know, so, so, I mean, that's probably a New Zealand record. Like, people just don't shoot that far. And, you know, we weren't, you know, I was using a 20-inch 6.5 with a 3 to 18, you know, little pole Mark six on it. Um, you know, it, it's, it, and I don't train a ton. It's, th- these things aren't difficult. And if I had been told 10 years ago that I, you know, could learn to shoot and shoot animals, uh, you know, people-sized targets at a 1,000 yards predictably, you know, there's no way I would have believed it. But, yeah, it's not difficult. You know what the most amazing shot on that trip for me was? Watching What's Nikki that? drop that, watching Nikki drop that stag. Cause we were way yeah. up on top of the mountain and looking down at you guys. And I could, I mean, we watched the whole thing unfold. I could see her moving into position. I was like, oh, she's getting ready to shoot it. And I tell people of all, every single stag, I mean, the, the largest gun we had there was a 30 nozzler and the yeah. smallest and there was your little 20-inch 6.5 Creedmoor. And that, yep. with a 143 ELDX, that is the only stag that dropped in its tracks, was the 6.5 Creedmoor with that 143 ELDX. Yeah, because mine, mine at 680 dropped, too, um, with the same gun. But, yeah, she, yeah, that was the first kill with the fix, and that's the first thing she's ever killed. Um, yeah. yeah, so Jared's talking about... Um, my old lady, she shot, uh, and it wasn't too far. I think that was inside 200. Uh, it was, and, but shot one that was on a cliff, probably what was that, about a 100, 150 foot cliff over the river. Yeah. And had it not sat down, we would have lost it. And, and she, she dumped it. I mean, one shot, it collapsed. And I don't, what do those stags weigh? That stag was probably what, like three, 350? It's big. Oh, they're, they're definitely over that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure exactly. I would say probably more in the 600 range. But oh, Jesus. I don't that know. Well, well it we'll say this. It, it, it was so big, they flew a helicopter in to get it out. <laughs> so, it so yeah, you're probably, you're probably of that. It's, it's, it blows through 350 out of the water. I mean, an elk, you know, you're getting up into the seven, 800-pound range for a big one. And they had some stags there that were really big, and they had some that were smaller. So, you know, I think you could say 500 easily. They're not small uh, animals. That's, but uh, that's probably closer to true, yeah. That just left an impression on me. I remember sitting up there watching, and I just, <coughs> excuse me, I see the stag just, boom, hit the ground, and then <laughs> hear the shot afterwards, and I was like, whoa, she just smoked it. I mean, we didn't have one that went over... I would say our farthest distance traveled was probably 20 yards, but um, still, I mean, for that yeah. little bitty gun, I was, like I said, that was Yeah, I mean, that, that was a six-pound gun, you know, that, and, 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 and to think, too, you know, for people who do, um, like the guys that own Kuyu and stuff, guys that do, like, high altitude, you know, freaking goat hunting, Um you know, if you're building some guns now for it too, which you went back to New Zealand um, and went to the South Island and shot what a tar and a chamois with. Uh, but people who do that, they need a lightweight gun. Like you know, I shot I shot a Rusa deer that probably weighed 500 pounds, um, 950 yards, one shot with that. Um, you know, and I was pretty lucky, but I had good conditions. But I was confident when I shot. I tell you what, when I got down, it's the farthest animal, or that's the farthest distance I've ever killed an animal. When I got down behind that gun, Jared, and you weren't with me that morning, but when I I got down behind the gun, saw the animal, we ranged it, and I thought my scope was on like eight power. I tried to turn it up. I was on 18, and I think I told you that day. I was like, holy shit, I have to get like a hunting scope with 25 power. Like, it's the first time I've ever needed more glass. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I'll do that next time. But um yeah, what what a great trip. I can't wait to go back. For anybody listening, if you have an opportunity to go to New Zealand, I'm sure Jared will vouch because, well, in 2020, you and I are going back, so that'll be your third trip. It is amazing. I've been 
a hundred places in the world, New Zealand's one of the top five, one that exceeded expectations. You literally feel like you're walking around in the Lord of the Rings movie. It's or a Photoshop something or another. I mean the place is absolutely unreal. There's not too many places on earth that I have seen that just make me sit and stop down and look at what is there. And um yeah. Shane Yeah, it's one of the only places I would move outside of America. Like if I had to leave America tomorrow I'm moving to New Zealand. Yeah, if anybody wants to look him up, that's Shane Quinn, uh, Alpine Hunting, New Zealand. Absolute top-notch place. Uh, they're actually, Liam, their son, just came out and stayed with me for uh, about a week in between trade shows and stuff. He came over here and stayed at the house for a while. So oh, that's a good time. Cool. Yeah, so, wasn't it cool, like, that South Island where you hunt the, the, the tar and the chamois? Um you know, like kind of high altitude goats, and what was that? The Southern Alps, like you're in you're in snow capped mountains, and it looks like a rainforest below you, running to the ocean, and you can see the ocean all at the same time. It, it's the most amazing helicopter ride. For people that don't know, um, so in the North Islands where we hunt stag and and fallow, rusa deer. What, what what's the other one? A, a, a samba or something? Some big ass deer. Well, Sambar, they call it Samba, but it's S-A-M-B-A-R. Yeah. yeah. That's a really big animal. It's much bigger than it looks at distance. They're much larger. Yeah. I'm killing one of the big fallow deer when we go back. But, um, uh, I get it. But you, <laughs> we go, we go this, you go to the South Island and you go in this little helicopter, which is a commercial equivalent to like the little bird, and you go up on like Fox Glacier. And you hunt for these chamois and these tar, and then you're at altitude. When you spot a good one, you drop down super fast, and you think it from altitude it looks like it's just grass, but it's like six foot tall bushes. And they get low, and they just throw you out with your gun. It is that was the toughest shot I made was thirty yards on a tar. Like that was harder than the nine hundred fifty yard shot. That was the most exciting part of that trip. You have not lived a full life if you have not done that hunt, in my opinion. Yeah, the South Island up on uh, once you get up in the scrub, I mean that's. I went there in the winter time, so it's a little bit different than yours. But it's it's literally yeah. a frozen jungle, and um, man, that's one of the hardest things. Like I've never gone sheep hunting before. Uh, I'm yeah. gonna go film somebody's hunt here in 19, but I've never gone sheep hunting. But and I'm not spooked much on the side of a mountain, but there were a couple of. There were a couple places there that I was pretty spooked, and my camera guy was definitely not having a good time. So, um, <laughs> very frozen, very yeah. steep. And, uh, it was a lot harder than what yeah. I'd imagined. I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't expect I didn't expect that. But, uh, yeah. you know, when we got out of the tent in the morning, there was probably 12 to 15 inches of snow on my tent. And uh, oh. I kind of had to beat my way out of it. But it was... I just, we don't get to do stuff here. I mean, where can you go do that? And it was. No, you can't. You have to travel. And I'll tell you, one thing that amazed me, you don't realize, like, we would be on a rock face on the side of a mountain that was 500 feet tall, and we would see a, a good tar on the side, on the top of it, and it would jump down on the side and get in a little crevice 100 feet below the ridge. And it's amazing how those goats can survive. I mean, I'm sure a ton of them die doing this. But going down the face of these mountains, um, yeah, I was there at the end of the summer when you and I went the first time. But uh, mm-hmm. I, if we, if we, I'm not going to camp up there in the winter. I'm kind of a wuss to say I'm 44. But if if you and I go in the in the in the summer again, I want us to to camp up there and scout around for a couple of days. I think that'll be fun. I'd like to do that. Well, we're doing the same thing that we did last time, but we're going to do another foot hunt on the South Island, but we're going to do it in May before the yeah. snow gets in thick. I mean, once it gets icy up there, it it is, I mean, it can get a little sketchy. So we're going to do yeah. it in May. So we'll have two trips when we go back because I've got, I've got quite a few people that want to do a foot hunt. And I mean, yeah, well, yeah I you think you and I can up there and go do it. That'd be fun. Well, yeah. um, Let's, uh, let me ask a couple of things. What was your first gun? My first gun ever or, like, first yeah. powered rifle? Okay. 
Well, let's start with first gun ever. First gun ever was a Savage. Actually, my first gun that I owned was a Ruger 1022. But prior to that, um, I was kind of given my brother's Savage. Uh, it was a single shot, single shot 22 Savage, and um, with like a 50 pound trigger on it. And uh, I was pretty deadly with that thing, believe it or not. Well, that's my all you got. Well, my brother brought it over, and he's like, here, I thought you might want to keep this. And I tried to pull the trigger on it, and I thought it was on safe. I don't know what that trigger was, but it was horrendous. But, uh, yeah, I was deadly with that little thing um, once I figured yeah. out. I just couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. I had my dad's um, 39A. Marlin 39A, and, you know, yeah. all I knew at 15 rounds. A lever gun. Yeah, I yeah. could never hit anything because I was just spraying and praying. But, you know, he said he took that gun from me and gave me my brother's savage and said, here, try this. And once you become proficient with this, then we'll change to something else. So I had to learn to make that one shot count. Um, so that's really what taught me or got me started shooting was that single shot savage so yeah that's cool. i think everybody out with a 22 long rifle but my first high powered yeah. rifle was 308 man liquor from the remington custom shop and was a birthday oh, present yeah well mm-hmm. that's the stuff yeah i, th- I well, think everybody like the old 22s but yeah well when i was um, growing up i mean everybody had a semi-automatic Thirty out six or equivalent with the peep through sights, you know, because <laughs> when you get up the peep through ring, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I yeah. didn't, know, I didn't know you weren't supposed to have those. So my oh, first real wow. experience. What the the, Rem, the Remington seven forty two. So I'm a I'm a couple years older than you. So I worked in a gun store in high school, and every and it had a gun range every deer season. I had to zero every 742 in the county with see-through rings on it. And I got to where I could zero in two shots. You know, I would just set it up in the vise. I'd shoot around. I would adjust the scope over to it, shoot another round. But, oh, what a piece of shit those things were. Um, yeah. What, what's your what's your uh, current favorite gun? My current favorite gun that we make or – well, okay, let's say that. What's your current one that you make? Um, I would have to say the Alpine. The Alpine. The new one. Is, do what? That's a new gun for you. That's a new gun for us that um, we actually got the idea while we were hunting in New Zealand. So I was asking those guys, their guides, you know, what do you guys want? What do you need? You know, and kind of came up with an idea for a rifle, came home and made some phone calls and called Kelly McMillan and a couple other people to see if they could kind of pull the rabbit out of the hat and I could get one of these built and go back over there and see what they thought of it. A few months later, we were able to do that. And um, I really like that gun a lot. Um, there's two that that we came out with, the Highlander. And the Alpine. So if you like a more traditional gun, I think the Highlander is probably a better fit. But the Alpine is based off of a Remington Varmint uh, from McMillan. And it's got a little yep. bigger palm, a little bigger forend, so we can put a proof barrel in it. And, uh, and it actually fit. But it feels like a super lightweight Varmint rifle. And I like that because I'm used to shooting bigger guns and competition and stuff. So it fits me, right? But for the traditional person, the Highlander. So, I mean, when I show those two rifles, it's one or the other. The customer is going to like one or the other. There's there's really no in-between there. Um, but, yeah, that, that Alpine is, is my favorite thing that we've done in a long time. I'm still waiting on a lightweight purpose-driven hunting rifle. Yeah. Yeah. Very well, simple. What, What's your favorite gun um, other than one you make in the industry currently? Tough question. I may not be up to speed on everything that is available, but there is some new stuff that's coming out that's really neat. But honestly, and I'm I'm not telling you this because I'm talking to you, 
Um, I would tell this to anybody. I think what you've done with your rifle, the fix, is uh, I have to take my hat off to you. It takes a ton of time, money, and expertise to do what you've done. And Daniel and I were literally talking about this today. And, you know, you didn't just come out with a Remington clone. I mean, you, you have a whole new rifle, whole new trigger, new bolt, new everything. And that, and you spit yeah. that out in just a couple of years. I mean, that's not something that is hardly ever done. So I take my hat off to you. I wish I, I wish I could do the same thing. And that's a well, big well, lump. So thank you, Jared. I mean, that means a lot coming from somebody that I respect that makes what I think are the best, you know, custom or semi-custom rifles in the world. Um, yeah, you, you know, it, it is interesting. I, I um, love and respect what you do and you know it, it was really the best thing that happened to me was getting you to build a bunch of rifles for me and seeing what it took to do what you did it's like it's the same thing i have the best 1911 i think ever produced and it was six thousand dollars and i got it cheaper than normal and it's a four-year backlog and i got it in six months because i knew somebody mm-hmm. and it seems ridiculous when I tell people I let them shoot it, let them handle it. It doesn't look super special, but that it's six grand, and they're like, "That's you know." If, if they don't know a lot about guns or things, it's like, "Oh, that's so stupid. Why would you ever do that?" But you know, the, like the the Mauser, just like the 1911, was designed in a time where if you wanted tolerances and things done a certain way, you hand fit it all. And that takes a right. special person and someone with a lot of experience. And, um, you know, and it's, it's basically, you know, this is kind of ironic because it's what I've been trying to avoid. But, you know, everyone still loves a 1911 and what you're doing. Like, I love, I still, you know, love those guns. I'm still going to have you build more guns. Um, but, yeah, I super appreciate the kind words. I mean, you know, I, I've I've made a lot of money in our industry, and I've gone through a lot of stuff. And this was something I really believed in, and I put a lot into it. And I'm, it, it feels really good to get an acknowledgement for somebody like you because I feel really great about what we accomplished. And it is mm-hmm. the next generation of stuff, and it is very different. And my goal was to have a precision production gun to where. You know, my kids could put it together, and it shoots half inch, and it weighs six pounds, and you know has interchangeable parts. And that's very different when you're working with a Remington-based gun. You know, having to hand fit everything. But you know, there's something just really endearing and uh, a- a- about that to where I know when I get a gun from you that it's right and it's perfect and it's going to hammer. It's going to last me a lifetime, and I'm going to give that. You know, I'm going to will that gun to someone. I think that most people, I think most people out there, whether they are part of the gun buying public or are not, don't truly understand just how good some of this stuff can be. I really don't. And it's amazing when you see one that's truly right. So, yeah. You know, the thing is, I mean, I think even a lot, you know, it's a good thing. You can only produce so many guns a year because probably 70% of the consumers, I believe, can't tell a difference between you, your gun, and one that I believe is a couple tiers below you. Well, like I have a CD in the same eye you have, and I'm obsessed, and I want everything to be incredible. And I try to pick your guns apart, and I can't. And I've got guns, um, you know, like I like proof research guns. I've got a couple of those, and they do a good job. And I've got some others that I won't name um, because I get them. And I have two right now, one I paid six grand for, one I paid 4500 for. I took out of the box, I put back in the box, and I've never fucking touched them again. Because I don't even want them. But also, the people did me a favor, whether they got them quick or they gave me a discount. And um, I look at it, and I can instantly see five things they did wrong, or they didn't pay attention to detail, or didn't take enough time. And it, it 
it just well, it doesn't infuriate me, but it makes me really dislike the gun, and they're in exile, and I don't touch them. And it makes me appreciate what you do. There's a lot of people. Everybody has, like, their little, I wouldn't call it a call tag, but a lot of different builders have their own way. Like, I could, without any names on any rifles, if you took the top, well, just 10 random people, um, that are, we'll say, popular enough to where their guns are floating around on a regular basis. I can tell you, I'd probably get over 50% right without a name on them. Just, I could tell you by looking at it who made it. And, um, it takes, also, it takes somebody that I don't think is wired 100% to what most people might consider normal. I don't want to say we're abnormal, but it takes a special person to be what I would consider an artist. Somebody that's really good at this, they have to have an eye. They have to see things. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's any job, whether it's like working on a submarine for eight years or painting or anyone that's really detail-oriented. And I, I think you're right. I think that's like 5 to 10% of the personalities. Um, like you and I both have pretty severe ADD, but you found a passion and something you focus on and you're hyper focused on it, building a gun. And, you know, when I tell people, it's like, okay, Jared's an asshole. I love Jared. He's one of my, he's one of my best friends. If you want a fucking gun built right, I said, here's the difference in Jared and everyone else. If Jared buys a $900 manor stock and he fucks it up a little. And uh it it and you could tell he's gonna throw that stock away and buy you another one and he's not gonna charge for it. And I'm like, that that is what you get with this. And you know, when you think about like what you and I spent going to New Zealand, you know, and I don't know, probably combined we probably spent eighty or a hundred thousand dollars. You know, buying a six thousand dollar rifle <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or $150,000. But, you know, yeah. let, let, let's say let's say when you and I go to Timber Ghost this year, and let's say we spend $40,000. Mm-hmm. Okay, you and I will probably spend a million dollars a piece on hunting over the course of our lives, minimum. What the fuck's a $6,000 gun? Like, that don't, even, that don't even cover the tip. <laughs> like, it's nothing. Because you're going to keep it, and you're going to give it to your son. You know how many people I've had, because I, I know quite a few people in the industry and, you know, guides and places, of how many people that will show up on a very expensive hunt with, now I'm not saying that their equipment is not adequate. What I'm saying is they don't know their equipment, you know, and maybe it's an off-shelf rifle, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you can, if you know your rifle and you're proficient with it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But, Correct. you know, these guys show up with a gun that's never been zeroed or they have no freaking clue. I mean, how could you, I just don't see it that way. Maybe it's a tax write-off or something for them. I, I don't get it. But for me, it's a big deal. And I want everything as perfect as I can get it, whether I'm rocking a $10 gun or a $10,000 gun. You know, I want well, it the best I can well, with that said, I think that's what's special about you is that you don't feel that way for yourself, but you feel that way for everyone from from my perspective and knowing you and every gun that you build. And, you know, I have every confidence. Like, I don't need to know all the details and what you do because I have every confidence. If I have you build something, it's going to be 100%. It's best you can make it. And then, too, it, you know, it's like when I have people say, oh, God, you spent $6,000 on a rifle. I'm like, it was a week of his fucking life. And, like, I know what he does. And, you know, if I did it myself, it would cost me 25000 and it would be half the fucking gun that he built. So, yeah. So th- there's that. And But, you know, I think it's the great thing about me and about you and our attitudes and not everyone's always going to like me or you. It's it, 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 It's like I'm not trying to be Ruger. And you're not trying to be SIG. It's like we can only sell to 10% maybe of the gun buying public. 
because that's just all we can do. So I don't right. give a shit if 100% of the people like me. Like, I don't care if 100% of the people can afford my products. You know, these are the people I'm trying to sell to, the people that want the best and can appreciate it. Like, I'm not getting right. into a bit more with you. If you can buy a, you know, for me, if you can buy a Ruger Precision Rifle, that's a great rifle. You should buy it. Does it compare to mine? Hell no, but I love what they're doing. and They're getting people interested in it. If all you can afford is a silencer co-silencer, it's better than no silencer. Buy it. But is it in the class of what I do? Hell no. You know, if if all you can afford is a Remington off-the-shelf, one of their 5Rs or whatever, that is a great rifle. Buy it. Does it compare to what Jared Joplin does? Hell no. Um, will you get one out of ten that's really great? Yeah, you will. But ten out of ten of Jared's rifles are great. You know, and it's just this customer that we talk about. Um, anyway, we're, we're we're going on and on. Let me ask you some other things. Uh, You're going Oh, no, I'm listening. <laughs> well, motherfucker, I'm right. Um, what, uh, what's the most innovative? Well, I, I, I'm going to continue to talk. Um, most innovative things for me to, like, in the last 10 years, ammo has come a long way. Barnes ammo, some of the horny ammo, the solid coppers, some of the um, burger bullets, um, and optics have come a long way in 10 years. And these are things that I find very innovative. In the firearms space, I don't find a lot of shit innovative, you know, and and I'm going to pat myself on the back all the time, and I appreciate your kind words, but the fixed rifle that we did is pretty innovative. You know, it's not revolutionary, but it's innovative. Um, But I find scopes and range finders and um, ammunition vital and innovative the last 10 years. What, what do you see? Uh, I would have to agree with you on that. I mean, it's coming so fast. I mean, sometimes I'm like, it's like a computer. You hate to buy it because you know there's a new one coming <laughs> out next year that's going to trump it. But it is literally coming that fast. And I think a large motivator of that is civilian competition competitions like PRS. I mean, it's like, you know, well, I think so. I mean, they're moving at a much faster rate because it's civilians with civilian money. There's no red tape involved. So the government, or in some cases, is actually paying attention to what, you know, the competitive shooters are doing because we're evolving at a much faster rate than what has currently been done. So, all yeah, I see that. what you're doing, kind of like comparing it to NASA or um, uh, like Formula One or something like that, like really trying to push the technology and that trickling down to average Joe or the hunter or whatever. Well, people are trying to win. So anytime you push the envelope to try and win, because, I mean, these guys are great. I have to take my hat off to them. They... There really are some phenomenal shooters out there. Average Joe or the Hunter or whatever. Well, people are trying to win. So anytime you push the envelope to try and win, because, I mean, these guys are great. I have to take my hat off to them. They, there really are some phenomenal shooters out there. If you think yeah. of where, where this has gone, um, but you had one like range finding binos. I guess Leica, in my mind, were the first people to come out with it. I'll bet you in another five years, like I've got a little pair of Swarovski binos right here. They're they're just ten powers, and I've got their range finding binos. But I'll guarantee you in five years they're going to have some that are half the size that will do all your ballistic data. I'm not that. I mean, they already have the technology. They just haven't made it small enough to get into something like that. But I guarantee you in five years they're going to have it. Like it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's cool. I mean, the ballistic. I mean, you know. You and all you and I need, or someone who, who's fairly efficient, um, to shoot far. You just need the ballistic data, and then you need a reasonable idea on wind. Um, you know, which to me, you're better at that than me. So over 308, I like 65 because it's less affected by wind. Like the drop, who gives a shit? You can calculate that easily. Right. Well, and it depends on the distance too, but it's uh. 
there really are so many good things out there. It's just, it's nuts. I mean, my tar, yeah. I think, I shot my tar at 1,096 yards corrected. Oh, you one up to me. You you went back uh, to New Zealand and one up me. Well, the, I had to. I mean, I can't be second place. But, uh, <laughs> well, I hold the North the, Eye on record. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, well, I almost had the North Island record on a goat, but that was close. 1970. Well, that five bucks gets you a Starbucks, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> uh, I really didn't want to shoot that tar at that far. I thought, you know, this is a little far, but the opportunity is right to make a shot like that. But again, it's five hundred forty-three grain ELDX blew me away. I actually, center punched the tart and we found the bullet on the opposite side, right in the in the opposite side of the hide. So, it's, so uh, awesome. it's I have the bullet sitting on my desk downstairs. So. Um. Anyway, oh, I know you're that's a cool. Well, hey, what 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 scope did you use, and what rifle did you use? Um, I used a Highlander because the Alpine yep. wasn't ready. Um, the or mine wasn't ready. Um, I used a six five two eighty four cartridge, one hundred forty three grain ELDX. It was a number. It's a number three spiral fluted Broughton barrel in a uh, Macmillan. Uh, edge technology stock. And, yeah. um, what am I missing there? Um, what I would go to? Oh, Swarovski, uh, Z8i. I really don't think there's a hunting scope on the market that beats that scope. I mean, if, what's the difference? If I, uh, what's the Z8 sorry. and the Z6, is that just glass quality? No, I, I really don't think there's a, in my opinion, there's not a huge glass quality difference. Um, good is good, right? So even their smaller ones like the the Z5 and all those, I mean, they still have great glass. Um, the Z8 has a more powerful package. They've shrunk it up a little bit. So you got oh. more power, smaller package, not to mention like the flex system. I mean, that's the best thing since sliced bread. They nailed it. So you've got the little flex knob and you, it's three hundred dollars retail. You snap it on the top. I know what you you know what I'm talking about because you have one. Yeah. But uh, it comes with a little ring, so you can set um, the the distance on the little rings for your turret, or you can dial in. Well, they'll tell you we don't make a scope that dials in mils. Well, they dial in centimeters, which is so retardedly close to mils, it's not even funny. So. Basically, you can dial in mills. Um, so you could dial metric if you wanted, or you could have a custom turret made. And to zero it, you pop it off, zero it, stick it right back on. I mean, it's just stupid, stupid simple. And I looked at that. At first, I didn't see what what's all the big hype about, you know, whatever. And it came in, and I started playing with it, and I was like, wow. they. I don't know who came up with this idea, but they absolutely nailed it. So... Kudos to them. I that's <laughs> I have quite a few of them at this point. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. You've got me turned on to it now. What what mm-hmm. was the magnification you were using at that distance? Uh, it was a thirteen power. So oh, you meant a, 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 um, a thousand yard plus shot with a thirteen power? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a one point something to thirteen. It's. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't planning on making an 1100 yard shot, so, uh, but even if that, oh, I hope it, not. Could, no, I mean, that wasn't the plan, but that's, that's what Mother Nature gave us, so, yeah, we, well, we exploited it a little bit, but, um, I mean, within well, reason, you can see it, you can hit it. I mean, I see, you know, people like David Tubb and all these guys shooting the groups, they shoot with freaking iron sights. You know, and I can yeah, hit targets, but as well. Yeah, I mean, that, David Dub and Robbie Johnson and those guys that yeah. shoot thousand yard iron sights. That's just I, I don't even consider that a thing. That's like superhuman. They have a gift from God. Um, well, it's not really a yeah. gift. They work their ass off to get there. It's like people well, shooting coins and pills and stuff out of the air. They work for that. So when you see somebody that can do something like this, I mean, they, you know, average Joe Hunter might look at something that we do 
And to them, that's like, wow, you know, were you a sniper? No, I'm not a sniper. I just, but to them, it's just as amazing. But we've worked our ass off to get here, you know, so it's not something that, uh, that comes easily. I mean, it takes work, it takes practice and, and time and the willingness to learn. So it's not something you can just throw money at and say, well, I have money, so I'm going to be good at this. No, you're going to have, you're going to be good at it if you learn it. So, I mean, yeah, all of those. Yeah, are I mean, I, I think I had two of the best people in the entire world teach me long range shooting. And, um, I'm very appreciative. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to afford really good equipment. Um, I'm not fortunate enough to be able to train as much as I would love. Um, but I, I think I do okay enough to get me by. Um, but yeah, I just hope I hear you don't try to make me put a silencer on my 470 when we go to Africa. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's gonna work out. <laughs> I'm bringing my I'm bringing my Peltors. Um, in yeah, case you don't. Well, well, hey, let me um let me ask you a couple more questions if you don't mind. Sure. Um, why why are you the best at what you do? Why is Jared Joplin? Why is American Precision Arms, why is that the best bolt gun you can buy? Well, again, I'd have to tell you, I don't really consider ourselves the best. I consider us, we're giving you our best, and our best is pretty darn good, and it's something that I feel that you could be proud to own. That's a statement all on its own, but... Well, I'm an incredibly arrogant ass, and I view you as the best if you want a custom rifle, and especially something for, you know, for me. Right now, I'm into hunting, so that's what I focus on. So, what is it that you do different than the other guys? I know one thing that we do different at our shop, that is not a, a physical thing in the sense of how we're building a gun, but most people in this industry... They pay by commission. So the more barrels you can produce in a day, the more money you make, the more money the shop makes. I mean, it's a good business model. I've never done that. Um, we tried it. Well, <laughs> we tried it once. It didn't really work. So all my guys are paid either on salary or by the hour, depending on what they do. So the emphasis is not on cranking things out of our shop. The emphasis is on building the best thing that we can. And they don't all work out, you know, until, you know, the big man himself comes down here and starts making these things. Not everything is going to be perfect, but we're 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 doing as perfect as we can. And um, I think by paying my employees, because I've got a really good crew that works for me, and we're not a small, we're not a big shop, but um, we're not small, we're not big, we're just uh, somewhere in the middle in the scheme of these, but... The crew that I've got, um, I pay them accordingly, and I think that is what makes us what we are. I really do, because with, with if you're just trying to crank stuff out, I mean, if somebody said, hey, I'll pay you $100 for every one of these you can crank out versus I'm going to pay you the same amount of money, I just want you to give me your best. I mean, what do you think you're going to do? I mean, they're human beings. I mean, let's just say their name's not... On the paper, they're not stroking everybody's paycheck. What are you going to do? You're going to go try and make as much money as you possibly can. Yeah. So that was one way at my shop that I tried to control that. And it may not be the best business model, but nobody said I'm the best business person. I just wanted to put out the best gun that we could. But I've also been very fortunate. Um, there were some people in the industry that, that took an interest in me and helped me. You know, along the way, uh, the largest one would probably be Robert Gradis. You know, I've had some multiple gun builders. Um, George from GA Precision helped me with some stuff back in the day. Uh, Marty from Badger Ordnance. I mean, they both helped me with a few things, but there was a point in time where Robert kind of took me under his wing and, and showed me more, kind of took me to the next level. And that, that really helped a lot. And, you know, he's he's a mentor of mine. So I've been very fortunate to have people like that that have taken an interest in me for whatever reason. Maybe I look good. Maybe I smell good. Maybe I'm a nice <laughs> guy. 
I don't know what the reason. <laughs> I, I, I don't they, know that any of that's true. You know how I look good. You're getting warm and fuzzy right now, but anyway, they took an interest in me and they helped me. This is, but I kind of formed my own way of doing things. It's like a melting pot. We took this from well, there, this from this guy, and made it kind of our own. Well, Jared, I would say as someone that knows you personally, it, it's definitely only going to fucking be your way. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> that. I that, may have run cool. the faithful person off, but um, <laughs> I just want it right. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong yeah, with that. Dude, I mean, I don't know if there is or not, and I'm not here to say that, but I will say, um, you know, you're one of my favorite people in the industry. Uh, you're a great friend of mine. Um, you know, I, I love what you do. I love getting to hunt with you, hang out with you. I love seeing the progress. I love seeing where the business is going. I love to see your passion for building the guns and your passion for hunting. And, you know, unlike a lot of people that, you know, build guns, um, you know, and maybe it's not the most efficient thing for you to go out and shoot and win competitions and be one of the best shooters. But, you know, it, it to me, it gives a different level of credibility to what you do. And, you know, I super respect it and appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I want to thank you for your time today. And, um, man, keep kicking ass. Like, I appreciate it. I love working with you. I love hunting with you. I love us being buddies. And I hope you and I are fucking 80 years old going and killing shit and catching bass or, you know, trout, wherever the hell we are. Um, when do I get my fix and my honey badger? <laughs> I know. It's funny. I was with I was with our buddy Ben in Alabama this week at Early's Hunting. He says the same thing to me, you know, and I'm like, motherfucker, I don't even have a honey badger. Like, I'm working on it, you know. Like like you said, this was a big project, and it's cost me millions of dollars, and we're getting stuff out in production. And just like you, um, no matter how arrogant I am, I put customers first. And I don't have a honey badger. I've got one fixed. It's a prototype. But you, you'll have your stuff in the next few months, and so will Ben. You guys can shut the fuck up. Um, so, yeah, that's just where we are. Uh, but, yeah, I, I look forward to it. I'm going to get you one with a with a pistol brace. Um, so take it with you. Keep it in your truck. Take it with you wherever you go, the honey badger. Um, what are you bringing to anyway, Africa? What are you bringing to Africa? We're definitely going to kill the honey badger with a honey badger. I don't know how we're going to accomplish that, but we'll get it done. Okay. Um, well, man, uh, yeah, have a good evening. Thank you, Jared. I super appreciate it. And, uh, no yeah, I wish you all the best, man. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Goodbye.